Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, would you help me tell our worship team thank you, great job. They've been here four hours today. Fantastic. Hey, Denny, let's throw them a party Wednesday night. Let's do something for them, all right? We're going to throw y'all party. You having choir practice Wednesday night? All right, we're going to throw you a party Wednesday night. I don't know what we'll do. We'll figure it out. Y'all are awesome. Thank you for being here all day long. Hey, would you take your Bible and turn to John chapter 20? I've got this Georgia cap on the God reigned it from heaven. Uh, No, Cole Wilcox, who plays for the Bulldogs, brought that to me today, so I don't have anything to do with it. I was going to wear it, but I'm just going to leave it right there, if that's okay. Um, uh, And all you Tennessee fans can just stare at it. (laughs) John chapter 20. Hey, I started a sermon series a few weeks ago and finishing today called Crossroad. Because every now and then in life, we are at a decision point where a decision we make is going to affect the next few years of our life. It's going to affect Uh, the next few decades of our lives, and in a lot of cases, it's going to affect us for eternity. They are decisions that determine our destiny. And on the way to the cross, we see these decisions being made. On the road to the cross, there were people all around Jesus who were making crossroad decisions. And so today, uh, so for the last six weeks, we've been looking at these decisions, and I'll I'll finish it today. We're going to look one decision past the cross, and I'm going to preach on this subject, believe. Out of John chapter 20. Today's the most exciting day on the church calendar. We, it's Easter's Resurrection Sunday. Now, you may not know this, but every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why uh, a Christian church, we worship on Sunday, not Saturday, which is actually the Sabbath, because we worship on uh, Resurrection Day. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And I, I want to make sure, like, I don't want to just use church language. I want to slow down for just a minute. I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. This is the day that we celebrate someone rising from the dead. You get that? You've never seen that before. He did it all on his own after he had been dead three days. This is not a guy who sneezed, his heart stopped, somebody did CPR, and he came back to life. This is, he is in the ground and he smells already dead. Three days later, he got up and he's been alive ever since that day. And he will live for eternity. Now, that says a lot, and if you're here today and you're not a believer, I get it. There's probably a little bit of skepticism with that, but come on, don't act like we don't believe some odd-er things. You say, what do you mean? Well, they recently did a research poll and discovered this was in Great Britain across the pond, but you, you get the idea. They discovered that 52% of the people they polled think the Apollo 11 moon landing was a hoax. Now, I know some of you are probably in the room. North Georgia has a lot of conspiracy theorists in it. I don't know if you noticed that or not. You got a lot of, it happened. It really happened. And I know you have a YouTube video that shows me all the anomalies, but your YouTube video is a hoax too. Like, you got to understand, it's a hoax. Half of Great Britain thinks it never happened. It gets even more disturbing. 73% of 25 to 34-year-olds think it didn't happen. 
One of the most documented events in the history of mankind. And we think it was smoke and mirrors. Well, there's other things. For example, 30% believe ghosts walk the earth. Now, I know you're thinking, preacher, I've seen a ghost. No, it was pizza and that hamburger you ate at the same time before you went to bed. No, preacher, I saw some, uh, somebody in a, it was your teenager sneaking out of the window in their bedroom. It was not a ghost. 24% believe in extraterrestrials. Despite there being no evidence whatsoever. I know, I know people are always like, have you seen that movie Signs? I did. It was a movie. Like, it's not legit. And it gets even a little crazy. You know a lot of people, but let's just throw it out there. 5% believe in dragons. You have never seen a dragon. Not that was real. We are confusing Hollywood with reality. So don't act like we're not prone to believing some odd things. But this is where it gets a little serious. 50% said the resurrection never happened. And even more disturbing, 25% of Christians say it did not happen. Like, is that even allowed? Are you as a Christian allowed to believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen? Well, I have news for you. You are not even allowed to believe it because Romans 10, 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is core to Christianity. The resurrection is core to salvation. It's central to knowing God. It's central to walking with God. It's central to being forgiven and living a victorious Christian life. It's something you have to believe if you're going to be a Christian. Because maybe it is you're here today and you need to be what we call saved, born again, become a follower of Jesus. You need to be saved because you need your sins forgiven. You need to be saved because you need new life. You need to be saved because you need the victorious Christian life. You need to be saved because you need to deal with what is the most important question to mankind. Where did I come from? But more importantly, where am I going? We all have to deal with the question of where am I going when I die? And the resurrection is central to answering that question. But I know it can be hard to believe. Because it was hard for the guy that's in our story. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in John chapter 20? We'll start reading just a few verses beginning in verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It's up on the screen. You can see it up here. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said this, Thomas, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you. You may be seated. 
So just quickly to get you where we are, we're after the crucifixion of Jesus. We've sung about that all morning. We're after the resurrection of Jesus. We've sung about that all morning. Many people have already seen him. And of all the 11 disciples that are left, one has not seen him. He's, his name is Thomas. And he's like some of you here today. Thomas is still dealing with all of that's going on in life. Thomas is dealing with purpose. He's dealing with eternity. He's dealing with life and sin and salvation. He's yet to make sense of all of this. There's some of you here today that you're in the same position as Thomas, that you have yet to make Christianity personal because to you, Christianity is just another form of organized religion, but that could not be farther from the truth. Christianity is not about organized religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of the organization could go away. All of the churches could go away. All of it could disappear. And Jesus Christ still stands. You've got to take your concept of Christianity and move it from philosophical to personal. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to show you what, what impacted Thomas and what really should impact us today. Number one is this. You need to listen to the stories of his glory. Listen to the stories of his glory. Look, look, look at what he said here. Verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Now, in the Greek language, that, that phrase is in the imperfect tense of repeated action. They kept saying it over and over again. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, no doubt, believed his friend saw something. But he doubted the nature of their experience. And these disciples, they're giving a unified, emphatic witness. It is in the first person plural. It's the perfect tense verb. Like they are all over this. There is no doubt whatsoever. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And they kept telling Thomas over and over again in the vernacular of our day, Thomas, it's real. We've seen a resurrected Jesus. I've experienced him firsthand. Thomas, we've all seen him together. I know he's real. I've seen him myself. I know he's real. I've touched him, Thomas, and he has touched me. Thomas, listen to our testimony. We have seen the Lord. We have seen a resurrected Christ. Thomas, he is real. And Thomas, the Bible said, still did not believe. Now listen, I know there's a lot of fake news out there. and If you're on Twitter or social media and you read blogs, you see me. Let's just say this. Nowadays, the television news is no better. We just seemingly run into fake news all the time from every channel, from every side. And I'm not telling you just because somebody says it's true, that does not make it so. But listen to me carefully this morning. This is not me telling you Jesus is real. This is not just my experience with Christ. This is not one person telling you Jesus is real. This is the testimony of millions of people for thousands of years. For centuries, people have lined up to tell their story of his glory. For centuries, people have lived their lives for a resurrected Savior. For centuries, people have given their lives. They have died because they had been touched by a resurrected Savior. And I know it's hard to believe sometimes, but sometimes you have to just listen to the stories of the glory of God. Because when you hear other people tell a story, it may be hard to believe. But can I tell you something? When you experience Jesus it is your story too and sometimes the testimony of others may be all the proof you need have you ever met the uh, 
most aggravating people in the world. Now look this way. Don't look at your spouse when I say that. Because I know, I know you probably just said that on the way in. You're the, and by the way, I'm starting a sermon series on marriage and family next week. So y'all come back for that, right? All right. So you can fix that in. But don't, don't look at her now. Don't look at him now. I know you just had that conversation. But chill for church, all right? Let us all be good. But you know the type. They are the most aggravating person in the world. Why? Because they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about one thing. They have an absolute one-track mind. It's all they care about. And when you meet the most aggravating person in the world, you are like, hey, I'm never going to be that way. Honey, don't ever let me be that way. Stop me before I get that way. You know who you are today. You're aggravating. We know who you are. Because we go the other direction when we see you coming. And to that aggravating group of people, I have an announcement for you today. I am in the club with you today. You say, what are you talking about? I am a grandparent myself. I have joined the group of the most aggravating people in the entire world. I'm a PJ. Sherry's a DD, and this is Jackson. And I am the proud PJ of the most smartest, best looking, most talented grandchild that's ever been born to mankind. You say, well, I have a grandchild. I know, but he pales in comparison to mine. Just so you know, I, I win. <laughs> I win. I win. I'm in the club. You know, I really never cared about your grandbaby story. You know that, don't you? Like, you told me I didn't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I know, I know some of you are thinking, well, you listened. Well, it's like in my job description. I have to be nice to people. I did listen. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I didn't really care. And I'd have grandparents be like, oh, you, you know, the worst thing that ever happened, the, the cell phone, uh, listen, teenagers don't abuse a cell phone. Grandparents do. Because, you know, they used to have one photo in their wallet and be like, let me show you my grandkid. And now it's like, hey, took 500 photos yesterday of my grandkid. You want to see those? No? Well, I'm showing to you anyway. Here they are. And my pledge to you is, even though I have joined the club, I will not be one of those aggravating uh, grandparents who are always showing you pictures of their grandbaby. But since we're all here, uh, uh, there he is. I mean, there he is. He's beautiful. And I am now in the club of the most aggravating people in the club. And can I tell you this, grandparents, I forgive me. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I, I forgive me. When you told me how great grandkids were, I, I didn't really believe it. But when I got one, all the fun and none of the responsibility, it is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Josh McKayla is so tired. They haven't slept in days. And I said, it'll, it'll be over in 18 years. You'll be fine. It only takes last 18 years. Before I was in the club, I was like, here they come. And now I'm like, he was born Wednesday. I have 300 pictures on my phone already since Wednesday. I'll show them to you after church. <laughs> Whether you want to see them or not. I didn't listen to the story of the glory of grandkids, but I get it now. 
when I got in the club, it made sense. And can I tell you, you may be here today and you hear our testimony about how great Jesus is, but you aren't listening. And you, you hear our testimony about how great it is to be saved and have God change your life, but you aren't listening. You, you hear our testimonies about the victory we get in, and you're not listening. I urge you, listen to the stories of his glory. Let me, I, we, we could stand up and give testimony all day long. We don't have time for that. But how many of you would agree with me that the Christian life is the best life? Say amen. amen. Every amen was a story of his glory. You hear others talk about the freedom that's in Jesus. You hear it, but you don't hear. And you hear others talk about the forgiveness is in Jesus. And you hear it, and you don't hear. And you, you hear others talk about the victory they have, but you hear it, they don't hear. Instead, we listen to our enemy. Remember what little Shelby saying a minute ago, fear is a liar. And the devil says, well, if you become a Christian, it's just bondage. So many rules and regulations. We don't have any rules and regulations. Did you know that? The Bible says that God will write those rules on your heart. And you're, you're far more in bondage to your sin and old habits than what you'll ever be to Jesus. Listen to the stories of his glory. The second thing we learn from Thomas is this. If you doubt, you'll be left out. Here's what it said in verse 25. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put in my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The Bible tells us that Thomas had heard all the stories, but he still didn't believe. And here's what Thomas said, unless I get some kind of tangible, physical proof of the resurrection of Jesus, I will not believe. Unless I can touch him, I will not believe. Now, here's, what, here's the part I want you to get. There's a nuance here, but I want you to get it. It wasn't the lack of faith that was about to ruin his life. It wasn't, the, uh, uh, it, it wasn't badness that was about to ruin his life. It was the lack of faith. When Thomas said, I will not believe, what was about to condemn him was his lack of faith. Now, here's what that tells us. Don't miss this. It's not bad people that are going to be left out of heaven when they die. It's the people who refused to believe. The doubters. The ones that couldn't grasp the resurrection. The ones that could not grasp what Jesus has done for you. The ones that could not grab hold of Christianity. You have all these people surrounding you that have great personal stories about the power of Christ. And Thomas is on the outside looking in, not because he's a bad person, but because of his lack of faith, because of his doubt. And here's what I know about you today. You aren't going to miss heaven because you're a bad person. You're not going to miss heaven because you're a murderer. You're not going to miss heaven because you're a terrible human being. It takes hard work to be a bad human being. You're not, that's not going to be your case. You're, you're not, in all probability, unless I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, you're not going to miss heaven because you have bodies buried out under the tree in the back of your yard. Like, that's probably not you. You're going to miss heaven because you doubt. Because you haven't placed your faith in a resurrected Jesus. You're going to miss heaven because you thought you knew the way, but you were wrong. How many of you remember this guy? Watch this video. You can sing it if you know it. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. 
I'm strong to the finish, cause I eats me spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor. How many of you remember Popeye? Let me see your hand. So you know the story of Popeye, right? He, he, his, his olive oil was getting attacked by Bluto and Popeye was getting beat up and then he would eat, uh, take a, a can of spinach and he'd squeeze it till it popped open or he opened it some creative way and spinach would go down his mouth or in his pipe and down his mouth, something weird like that. Then all of a sudden Popeye would flex his muscles and he'd get biceps like mine, you know, and triceps and like, uh, he'd get really big and strong like the way I look today. And so, uh, you know, he, he'd, he'd work. And did you know that Popeye was employed by the government during World War II, that this is government propaganda. This is not a joke. In the 1890s, German scientists had discovered that there was as much iron in spinach as there was meat. And so meat was a rarity for the soldiers in World War II. And so the government used Popeye to promote the eating of spinach so they would get the vitamins and the iron necessary to go strong. But there was just one problem with the whole deal. There is iron in spinach, but when the Germans did the original science in the 1890s, this is not a joke. The guy who wrote it down put the decimal point in the wrong place. So they were advertising 10 times more iron than what there was actually in spinach. And we didn't even know it till after World War II. And I'm pretty angry about it. Because my mama... Raise me telling me I need to eat spinach when a can of Pringles would have done just as good. <laughs> Our soldiers would have been just as strong with a bag of Doritos as what they would have been a can of spinach. <sighs> See, soldiers thought they were getting stronger, but really it was the wrong way. It's like that with Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? They, people thought they think they know the right way to heaven. So here, here's what you in all probability to think today, that good people are going to heaven and bad people are going to hell and Hitler's going to hell and, and the Mother Teresa's of the world are going to heaven. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating doing good. Don't, don't hear me saying that, but doing bad. That's not what I'm saying, but here's what I'm saying. We think that if I do good enough, I'll get to heaven. Or if I'm kind to my fellow man, I get to heaven. Or if I give back to the world, I'll, I'll go to heaven. Or if I figure out a way to help others, I'll go to heaven. But can I tell you, that is not it. It is doubt that will cause you to miss heaven. It is doubt that will cause you not to be saved. It is doubt that will keep you far from God. Doing thing, good things are awesome, but that's not how you get saved. It is doubt that leaves you out. Thomas was in trouble, not because he was a bad person, but because he said, I will not believe. So the third thing we learn from Thomas, and that is number three, you have to believe it to receive it. Thomas got his act together in verse 29 and, and 28, and he believed. But in verse 29, uh, Jesus said this, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, you, you know what Thomas said. Well, I, I've got to touch him, hands and side. And so Jesus showed up in the midst of them, and um, he said, Thomas, here are my nail prints. Touch them. Here's where the spear went in my side. Put your hand in there. We have absolutely no record of Thomas touching Jesus. He was smarter than that. 
All we have a record of is Thomas falling on his knees and accepting God, Jesus, as the Lord and Savior of his life. And when Thomas believed, Thomas received. Thomas became a follower of Jesus Christ. He laid down his old life. He picked up a new life all by doing one thing, by believing, by putting his faith. And Jesus said something amazing to Thomas. He said, Thomas, You've believed in me, you've trusted me because you've seen me alive. But Thomas, there are going to be millions of people after you for thousands of years that are going to believe and put their faith in me and they'll never see me. And he was talking about you. He was talking about me. See, God made salvation so simple that you don't have to earn it or work for it. You just have to receive it but it still requires a leap of faith. See, there's plenty of scientific evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There's plenty of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There's plenty of philosophical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There are tons of that. But at the end of the day, all that evidence doesn't matter because I cannot show you a resurrected Christ on a videotape. I can't go to YouTube and pull up and say, look, there's Jesus rising from the grave. Why? Because God didn't want it that way. At the end of the day, you have to believe. And the only way to receive the salvation God offers is to believe and put faith in Christ. Because if you don't believe in a resurrected Christ, you'll never put your faith and trust in him. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. It amazes me today that uh, there are high school graduates that were not alive during 9-11. Y'all find that hard to believe if you're an adult? What I find hard to believe as an adult is that there are adults alive who did not experience the blizzard of 93. How many of y'all remember the blizzard of 93? I went back to check my facts. I've always said there's four feet of snow. It, It felt like there were four feet of snow, but 20 feet of snow fell, 20 feet. 20 inches of snow fell in two days. In some parts of North Georgia, 24 inches of snow fell. Now, at the time, I'd been married about five years. I had one child, Savannah, who was three years old. We lived in a 14 by 72 mobile home that was built in 1987. Now, and I, now this is nothing against mobile homes because I, I lived in one for a while, a good one while. But let me tell you this, in a, in a mobile home, 14 by 72, that was built in 1987, when the electricity goes out, it's the same degrees inside as it is outside immediately. But it was all good in the beginning. I was leaving my job on that Friday, and it was my last day on the job. I was starting a new job on Monday, and my wife called me before I left because we didn't have cell phones. And she said, hey, you better go by. They're saying it's going to be bad. Now, can I say this? You, you may be, we've had meteorologists come to church before. You may be a meteorologist. We love you. Thank you for the work you do. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. When you say it's going to snow, it just don't do it. And I think you're nervous because you were here in 93 and you probably didn't say we were going to get two feet. You said we are going to get eight inches and we got two feet. And now every time it gets below 64 degrees, you're like, it's going to snow tomorrow. It's going to snow. But nobody know it. And they said to me, they, Sherry said, hey, you better go get some groceries and like, you better get a lot because they say we could be snowed in for a while. And I did what you probably did. I'm like, <laughs> There's no way. 
I'm not going to get groceries. And she said, I'm telling you, you, you got a baby at home. You better go get some groceries. And so I, I said, I'm not going to the grocery store. And so I, on the way home, I stopped by the closest handyway, Stop and Rob, that was on the way to the house. And so I stopped there, and I was driving my 81 Cutlass Supreme that had no gas in it. I would, it was a diesel, but like I was empty. It was nothing. It was on red, and I'm like, I, I would go to put some gas in it, and like there's 10 cars in line. I'm like, I bet they've jacked the price up to 99 cents, and I'm not paying for that. And so uh, I, I just like, I, I'm not waiting in line for 10 cars. And so I said, I'm going to park and go in. And I bought what groceries I could find inside. I bought a small jar of peanut butter, a loaf of bread, and a box of microwave popcorn. <laughs> Don't laugh. It made sense that day for somehow, some way. We, we, we got home Friday night, and my wife wasn't real impressed with my survival food I brought home. And um, it started snowing that night. If you experienced it, it just started coming out in, in blankets. And, man, it was fun Friday night. But now, the worst thing that happened to us is our cable went out immediately. So we have no contact with the outside world. No internet, remember? No internet. And so we don't know what's going on. And we're just frolicking outside and having a good time and playing. And we come inside and get warm. And Saturday morning, I got Savannah out dropping her in the snow drifts over her head. And we're, we got video of all that. It is so much fun. And somewhere after lunch on Saturday, I said to myself, huh, if the electricity goes out, it might get cold. Electricity never goes out. I mean, it's already snowed. Saturday night, Sherry had already cooked dinner. We lost electricity for the next seven days. Many of you did too. And Again, that mobile home, we went to bed and it was 32 degrees outside and we woke up and it was 32 degrees inside. We had taken every blanket we owned and we put it on top of our bed. And still in the morning we woke up, we had a three-year-old who's just crying because she doesn't want to be under the covers. And, and you can see your breath inside our house. And, and Sherry said, I'm, I'm going to go fix us something to eat. I'm going to go fix us a peanut butter sandwich. I don't know if you ever tried to make a peanut butter sandwich when the peanut butter is frozen and the bread goes clink when it drops on the ground. It was not a pleasant experience. And my wife is like, hey, why don't you come in here and make some microwave popcorn while I'm at it? <laughs> Somebody finally rescued us, but do, do you know why we nearly froze to death? It's not because of the snow. Is because I didn't believe the snow. I had plenty of opportunity to get things right. By the way, that's why when 2011 happened, I mean 2001, uh, Y2K, I had food for years laid up. <laughs> like I think this week we'll eat the last box of spaghetti that I packed away in Y2K. I wouldn't have that happen to me again. No way, no how. We're going to eat beans for the rest of our lives, honey, but I got your back on this one. Do you know why we nearly froze to death? Not because of the snow, but because I didn't believe the snow was coming. Here, here, get this. Real belief, real faith produces action. If you really believe something, you'll take action on what you believe. So let's just take care of this today. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for your sins? If you believe that, say amen. Do you believe that three days later, he rose from the grave? Say amen. amen. If you really believe that, 
you're halfway saved. But halfway saved is all the way lost. Because you've yet to take action. And what's left to take action is you standing at a crossroad today. Now, you're going to continue to believe the lie of the devil that, well, if you're, you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. No. It's doubt that leaves you out. Listen to the testimony of all the people who know Jesus around you. It's only if you believe that you receive the salvation. And if you really believe it, you need to act on it today. So would you do me a favor, would you take that connection card that you filled out earlier and would you just put it in your lap, whether you're at Rossville or at Overflow Room or here in this room, would you just put that connection card in your lap? Would you make sure it's filled out? Make sure you have a pen, pencil, something to write with. There's some stuff in the back of some of the chairs. And would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Nobody in the building looking around. I'm the only one looking right now, me and a couple staff guys who are coming to the front. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, uh, was crucified on Calvary, that's awesome. If you believe he rose from the dead, that's even better. But just believing it doesn't save you. It's the belief that puts faith into action. You've got to receive it. You have to believe it to receive it. You won't receive it if you don't believe it. But if you believe it, you, now's the time to receive it. We can do that just now. The good news I have for you today is you don't have to work your way to heaven. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. All you have to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you can be saved. We've had dozens of people already do that today and you could be the next. And so I'm going to ask you to do that just now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody looking. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that when you die you'll spend eternity in heaven, then you need to be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to help you talk to God today. It's not the words you say. There's no magic formula. There's no secret verse you have to recite. It's you placing your faith in Jesus. And we do that through prayer. And it's hard to, if you don't know how to pray, let me help you. You can pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave. And I know that I can't save myself. So just now, I invite Christ into my life to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. if you just prayed that prayer and the intent of your heart was to trust Jesus and be saved, you are what we, the Bible calls what we call born again. You are a Christian. You have been saved. And I know there are people all over the room that did that. So Pevine, would you congratulate them today and say, man, we're, we celebrate with you that decision. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Here's what I want you to do. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.